Hi, everyone. Welcome to Turning Point. My name is Blaine Birch. I'm co-founder and CEO at Dry Run. And joining me today, I'm really excited to have Melanie Villeneuve of Urtica, uh, founder of Urtica. And um, uh, I was looking up on your website, Brands for Food and Farm, which I, I find intriguing in a whole bunch of ways. The biggest way just because it's a niche. Uh, but anyways, welcome. Welcome to the show. Um, thanks for thanks for joining me. Thanks so much for having me today, Blaine. Um, so sort of a customarily on, on our show, before we get into what you're doing now and the cool stuff you're doing with Erdica, I always like to dig in a little bit and find out um, how you got started as an entrepreneur. How, like, what, what sort of drove you? When was the first sort of thing that made you feel like, hey, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get into business? Um, I feel like my entire life has been a series of happy accidents, most of which resulted in me turning something I was doing into some kind of business and trying to get people on board to see if they would be interested. Um, you know, my parents were both entrepreneurs. My father owned a landscaping company growing up. Um, my mom had a crew of women doing commercial and residential cleaning. So I always saw that hustle. And the desire to serve be a really integral part of our family canvas. Mm -hmm. um, and then I left the nest a little bit on the early side of things. I left the nest when I was 17 and I went to Singapore where I wow. learned to code. And uh, back then we used to design websites in pieces and have them sliced and coded and, um, that's kind of where I cut my teeth. Nice. So, well, that's, um, I've never been to Singapore. It, it sounds, um, uh, like an uh, amazing place. So I, I always watch the Singapore Grand Prix. <laughs> that's my <laughs> reference point for Singapore. Like that looks awesome. Um, but, uh, so you went there and learned how to code when, when you, like, when was this, uh, what year was this? I'm just trying to picture the, the technical timeframe for web design and that. It was 2008 in the land okay. of, you know, Dreamweaver and such other um, yes. pieces of software um, long before the platformers that we have now where you can drag and drop a software and, you know, a website into, into being very, very easily. Yeah. Um, you know, we studied heat maps and just like things that people don't look at anymore that much. So I feel like I'm dating myself a little bit, but um yeah, well, a few years ago. I, yeah, well, I I do remember that period of time. I do remember. I I had never thought of Dreamweaver. I haven't thought of it in years, but I do remember Dreamweaver. Um, and uh, my my background is a, I actually had a creative background too. I, I have a bachelor and master's of design, and I had an agency for about ten years before I kind of dove into dry run and and. Uh, um, I remember all those, but I'll date myself even more because I think the first website I did while I was in university. Uh, was like you, you were doing HTML in like a text editing program, yeah, and dial up, <laughs> <laughs> ding, 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 and uh, um, and Do you know, remember it's like, the sound of dial up, right? Like, oh, it, yeah. I mean, you know, this generation has no idea what that even means. I think it's kind of like the rotary yeah. phone; they will never know. They'll never know it. It's and it's it's something that um, yeah, you hear it and it'll be like snap instant. And, and I still think I must've drove my, my parents crazy because I'd be down there, you know, late at night with something due, ding, 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 you know, connecting and, <laughs> and trying to, you know, keeping that phone line busy, keeping the phone line busy so I could get my, my assignment done or whatever. And, and uh, you know, 
um, fast forward a few years, at least we had, you know, broadband that was, I still remember even early broadband was quite awful too. So it's, uh, but it still yeah. felt like a gift at that point. It felt like leaps and bounds, you know, forward. Yeah, exactly. And it was, and it was a revolution for me when I when I had, um, uh, early in my agency days, when I had other people build the stuff that I didn't have to build it anymore. I was, I was early in flash as well. I don't know if you played with flash. Yeah. Yeah. Until Flash broke the internet, basically. Yeah, exactly. It, it went it went really high, really quick, and then and then just died so quick. So, but uh, very cool, um, uh, man. I just I, I love thinking of those days. It was a different a different time. It wasn't so. Um, it was a little bit more Wild West. I think it felt like so. Absolutely, absolutely. It was the time where I remember being so panicked over, you know, writing just simple, you know, lines of code to make a, a marquee. Remember those? Like they would slide across your, your screen oh, and you'd remember those. Yeah. yeah. And I broke this website early on, just couldn't figure out where I had fudged the code and had to, you know, start from scratch. And I remember printing out pages of code and just looking manually with a highlighter, like where did it? Anyways, yeah. those days are gone. The tools are so much more friendly now. It's yeah. incredible. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's a different world now. I know my 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 co-founder every once in a while will he'll will have a little bug or something and he'll tell me he's gone through like I can't even tell you how many probably millions of lines of code we have in dry run. And obviously he knows sort of an area to look, but how long he'll look and they'll be like, Yeah, I had a typo or something, right? Like, <laughs> like oh man, that just that sucks. But uh it's uh, I'm glad I don't have to look at that stuff anymore. I I never was very good at it. Um so you're you're in Singapore, where so were you working for a, a business there, or did you start your own thing, or what were you doing? Like, how did you sort of get started? I guess over there. So at the time, my godfather um, lived there, and he had some contacts in racing. Uh, so I ended up getting a couple of contracts building websites for um, kart racers. You know those little like yeah, yeah. Um, and you know flying to the Philippines and doing the photography for the websites and, you know, learning about copywriting. I didn't even know what that was then. And, yeah. you know, that's like such a huge part of what I do now is so language-based, but yeah. So at the time um, I ended up getting a couple of contracts through him and his contacts and, you know, charging nothing. <laughs> Uh, yeah. for them. And, but it was such a great learning experience and it allowed me to, to realize that, you know, like there's this whole thing now on the internet where people want to build these businesses so that they can travel and they can, you know, these like lifestyle businesses. And there's a lot of rah, rah, rah around that. And it's really funny to me because looking back, you know, I'm just this little Canadian from out East and I did this thing where I built a small business in Singapore. And, it, you know, it sounds like something that if you would put it on Instagram or something like that these days, it would be like this, oh my goodness, you know, like this whole anyway, enter soapbox here. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's just kind of how life unfolded for me. You know, yeah. it was just, yeah. it wasn't even like a life goal or any kind of crazy like that. Yeah. But, you know, I, like we're on episode 40 some here. I'm, I'm not even sure which one we're on right now. And um, it's amazing because I bet you all 
40, some of them. The, the, the interesting thing about entrepreneurs is so often it's, um, and it's felt the same as myself. You see opportunity and you just like, you just, and it's, it's not about like making money or making millions. It's like, you see opportunity to do something interesting, to build something and oh yeah, and get paid for it too, hopefully. And we all charged way too little at the start, you know, and, true and story. did way too many hours, you know, and also misquoted. Yeah, <laughs> we know, I know, <laughs> been through all of them. Um, and uh, it's, it, but it's, it's so, it, it just, it's so interesting. It's like, yeah, that's just an entrepreneur. You see this opportunity and you, and you go and, and you build and you build something out of it. And um, it's such a familiar, familiar story um, that, that, um, you know, non-entrepreneurs, I think sometimes must look at us and think like, what are you, what are you doing? You're just, why you're doing, why, what? you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Why would I, you do that? <laughs> I feel like maybe we're wired a little bit differently. It's like, we can't help ourselves, you know, like we've got something potentially that's slightly misaligned or extremely well aligned in our brains depends on your, you know, viewpoint on how that all looks. But yeah. I feel like there's like a degree of like masochism in our, in our personalities where we are willing to beat the dead horse until, you know, like we get something out of it. Yeah. But a lot of the times it also leads to these incredible solutions, mm-hmm. you know, that didn't exist before or didn't get thought through in the way that, you know, we do or, or something like that. But it's, yeah, I have lots of friends who are entrepreneurs. I bet you have too. And we just have this kind of tenacity to our personality where we just yeah. like, will bite down and we cannot let go. No, you, you just, you go through a wall and up a hill and just, and it's just, that's just, you don't even, don't even think about it. There's no quit. Um, and there, yeah. but there can be there, if, if there was quit that, you know, um, it's so hard to get, to get over that hump. You always hear that, you know, it takes five years to build a business and that's kind of a traditional business tech world. It, it can be longer and harder. You know, they always talk about the 10 year overnight success and stuff. That's um, right. It just, it takes, it takes a long time. And I, and I remember my, in, back in sort of my agency days from my my very first client when I had a laptop and, and got a little software off a buddy of mine, you know, and yeah. you know, trying to go like, let's, Been there, let's, done that. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> let's figure out how we do this and look professional showing up to the client and go home and actually did all the work on the laptop too. Um, and then all of a sudden, you know, probably about five years went, went by and you look and also it's like, Oh man, I got much larger bills and much more responsibility and many mouths to feed and, um, and, a, and a, a, you know, a big office. And, and, you know, like we, I always tell people we got, I learned about finance in 2008, 2009, right around the time you were starting with the, the recession was such a, a lesson for us. Right. And, and eventually <laughs> led to sort of what, what dry run became because it was trying to work our way through and figure all that stuff out. And um, it's uh, it's just, you look back and go like one of the reasons you keep going is because why well, you don't have an alternative, right? Like, I mean, what are you going to do? You know, you walk Blaine, away, between right? like between you and I, I tried putting together a resume in the past couple of years, you know, just trying to look at what was out there outside of what I've been doing for 14 plus years now. And I was like, I don't think I'm hireable. <laughs> I don't know a single entrepreneur that I know has been in business for more than a few years that is, I, 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 like you just, how do you go work for somebody? So like this friend of mine, uh, he, he always say, it's like, he goes, it's like we're dogs off a leash. You can't go back. And I'm like, yeah, that's, you just, 
it's really difficult. And, you know, and I've had uh, some friends who have exited out of a number of friends who have exited out of their businesses and in, in selling their, their tech companies and that, and they always have to go work for the company for two or three years. And it's like, they're just, it's like, they're counting the days on the calendar. Right? Like, oh, it's, yeah. like, it's like a jail cell with the little scratches on the wall. Right. It's just yeah. like, okay, we've got another five, another yeah. five. Yeah. So painful. But I also see the, the, um, like the challenges that entrepreneurs go through, there's always a little bit of that, oh man, like to just have a nine to five and not have the weight of the world on your shoulders is kind of, that would be kind of nice too. <laughs> so it's tough, right? I'm not sure I could sign up for that though. Yeah, it, that's, that's exactly it. It's just such a different, it's such a different world. And um, so you're in Singapore you, yeah. you know, had, had a business, like that was your sort of first taste of business. Uh, honestly, I'm just like, that would be so cool. Just going, I love race. Like I, I love uh, car racing, love F1. I've, you know, like watching even like the cart, like little cart races and stuff always looks totally like that whole world is so fun to me. So that sounds like a really cool experience. Um, where, like, where did you go from there? How long were you, were you there kind of, um, with this, this first, uh, business? So I was in Singapore just under a year and then originally I'm from Montreal. So I eventually, you know, packed up and went back to the real world. And I say this with, you know, bunny air quotes or whatever, went back to the real world and, um, you know, took some time to figure out what I wanted to do. Um, I was still very young at the time, considering going back to, you know, like college or university or something like that. And, you know, kind of figuring myself out. And while I was doing that, I landed a gig in a commercial photography studio, setting up lights and, um, chasing out after coffee and, you know, like those, those types of things, you know, doing the grunt jobs, um, and I ended up realizing that I really enjoy the storytelling component of photography, but I also quickly realized that high fashion and, you know, those type of glossy magazine environments was really not my shtick. Um, so I ended up turning around and starting just a small portrait studio um, on Saint Laurent Street, which is kind of like High Street in Montreal. Um, had my first um, subcontractor and thought I had like made it. And it was like this, you know, it like it felt really good. Um, and then um, my life began intertwining with some of the food communities in Montreal, and I ended up um, becoming a partner in a business where there was like a catering aspect to it and they needed, you know, like the branding and the photography and, and all of those things. Um, mm -hmm. So we ended up building out that business and then I ended up exiting Um and moving to um, Alberta, which is where I am now. So there's been a few, of course, moments, you know, like through that, a little bit of rockiness, a little bit of um, awesomeness, but that's sort of where I started developing this broader, not only skill set, but understanding of the kind of people that I wanted to work with and the kind of people yeah. that I wanted to serve and the kind of conversations that I wanted to be having, you know? Yeah. yeah. That's, that's such an important, 
thing. And I know like when I, when I looked at your, your site and I was talking about food and farm and that, I thought that's just so interesting and that grab taking a niche of course is so important, but there's like we talked about, there's always that like opportunity, you find an opportunity, recognize an opportunity, but the other side of it is you're also attracted to the opportunity because you'll have like a hundred opportunities out there, but it's going to be one that sort of fits. And uh, like, I remember in, in my agency days, a lot of things that we did were um, like uh, e-learning, online training, online educate, which is because it's just, that was, you know, museum stuff. Cause it was just stuff we found really interesting and we kind of gravitated towards that. And so what, how, um, how did this connection, like how or tell me a little bit about the experience of that, that first stepping into that sort of food world in Montreal, because it sounds like a neat world. I don't, and I don't know much about it. So I'm curious. So Montreal, I mean, the kind of joke that I like to say, or like the thing that we like to say in Montreal is you can get any kind of food and it's going to be amazing at any time of day or night. You know, like in, in Montreal, there's just this huge food scene. It's super mm. multicultural. Um, it's really deeply ingrained in the social fabric in Montreal is like you're always going out for a meal. You know, you're meeting friends, you're going for a meal, you're bringing things to a picnic, you're going to the farmer's markets, you're, you know, doing those kinds of things. Mm. Um, and, you know, I'm trying to like think back of like those kind of first few moments where, you know, this ex-partner came to me and and said, you know, I want to make like food to farm catering. And I was like, whoa, okay. Um, food to farm was like, or food to table was not a thing then, you know, like it, it had not like started making the, the, it wasn't on every bookshelf. It wasn't in every paper. Mm -hmm. It wasn't the standard of these like bigger, larger Michelin star restaurants. Like it wasn't really a thing, yeah. um, or at least it wasn't talked about. Um, and so I did, you know, the market research for it and try to, you know, understand like what the consumers want. I mean, organic wasn't even a thing then either really free range eggs. Like, what was that? You know, like, like nobody, yeah. nobody knew that it wasn't like, there wasn't that vernacular around it. Um, and so, you know, I, I entered into this, this business and helped like create the bridges between the farmers and how do we tell those stories? How do we tell the guy in the office who's ordering lunch from us that, you know, like John grew his carrots and, you know, whatever. So it's funny because to me, it's such a, and this is like the plight of knowing what you know, right? But it's such a like run of the mill conversation now in mm -hmm. everything that I do, like on a day to day basis. That when I try to think back to when we had those first conversations with the farmers and creating those partnerships and, and creating that product line and, and all of that, I remember just like my mind exploding on the regular, just being like, wow, yeah. wow, wow, all the time. Um, I'm not sure I answered your question at all there, Blaine. Well, no, but it's, this is interesting because the, um, uh, and just sort of you taking me back in time, like the, um, it's amazing how much that world has changed in 10 years. It's amazing how much food and restaurants and, and, you know, uh, like microbreweries and, and everything else have all just sort of popped up in this world has shifted in 10 years. And it's wild. And you're, and you're in sort of early, right? You're in early and you're able to say, okay, this, I'm going to learn this. And, and you know, are you learning it on the, on the way? And you'll be able to say like, 
by the time it's got some momentum, it's like, you're kind of an old vet. You're an expert. Yeah. Like, and that's, that's, that's a really great sort of p- position to be in. I think the one of the parts that I didn't quite um, sort of understand is so that at the time you were basically giving a story to a farmer so that that, that would help them sell to a restaurant to say, um, this is why you want to buy local. It's why you want to go farm to table or whatever that is, you know, um, I didn't, I hadn't, I hadn't really thought like, I didn't really understand that's how it works. I kind of thought it was somehow all connected, right? Like the, the, um, so it's, it's, uh, it's something that that must be like quite a shift. I would think for a lot of, um, uh, like for the ag business to be able to go to now you're going to really build a brand and market it rather than just sort of selling to whatever. I don't even know how that all works to be completely honest. You know, um, so, so if I think of then, and then I think of now, um, you know, then it is my understanding that, Farmers would sell to distributors, you know, kind of like the grocery people or things like that. And then it would end up on grocery store shelves and and things Mm -hmm. like that. Whereas now farms have the opportunity to sell direct to consumer, which I feel like they did a lot of at the time too, but it was in that farm stand context where people would, you know, drive up to the farm and, you know, get a dozen fresh eggs or or something like that. And we have this very picturesque idea of what those, you know, moments look like and what those conversations might look like. Um, And that can still be true today, but now, you know, we live in a space where, you can have those kinds of relationships by leveraging other pieces like e-commerce or social media, or, mm-hmm. I mean, social media wasn't even a thing then, you know, yeah. like how, how did people land clients before social media? You know, like well, we did, but <laughs> it's kind of hard to yeah. think about how, how you even went about like about doing those things. I feel like in your early agency days when social media was probably not a thing, no. um, the conversations were different, you know, very, yeah. I imagine it's, it's changed so much, even for, you know, how we, how we market and, and meet people and talk to people now. And we're like, we sell globally now, which is very different. And um, back in the agency days, yeah, there was no social media. Of course we had a website, but if anyone, you almost wanted to hide your contact info. Cause if anyone came from the website, it's like, <laughs> ah, they weren't going to be any good. Um, it was, we had the website because we would be out like we would literally be on the phone and you're booking coffee and you're going at meeting, yeah. meeting, 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 knocking on doors basically. And, and then it was all uh, networking and referral. And the website was so they could kind of go and take a quick look and go, yeah, they look legit, right? That, that looks like a legit yeah. business. Um, and, uh, but there was no, like, I don't think by the time I sold that company, I don't think we had, I don't think we had any sort of, I don't think we had, an account on anything. I don't even know if anything was around when I sold it. So it's, it blows my mind to even think about that now, um, right? compared to how much we do on LinkedIn today, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's a completely different world. Um, this is, yeah, this is a, like that, that industry is fascinating to me, not just like how you're sort of taking advantage of it and helping them, which I want to get to, but I, I'm still intrigued by how that industry has changed over the last like uh, 10 years, especially, and how, um, how those ag businesses, like I know, like I've heard so much on how they're moving. Uh, there's so much more technology and all, and all these, all these different um, upheavals in that industry. 
but that's one area where I've just, it never even really kind of occurred to me. And I'm, I'm curious how, how do you like, can you walk me through like how, how, do, how do you today go to uh, um, a producer like that and, and sort of open up a, a channel for them? Um, great question. So in, so in today's space, um, at least with Urtica, mostly we work with smaller scale producers. We work with um, producers who are in sort of two unique positions. So the first one being their first generation farmer. They have probably never farmed a day in their life, probably never even owned a business in their life. And they're suddenly on this, you know, beautiful piece of land that they're trying to make productive and they choose sort of the avenues through which they will do those things. Um, The other kind of unique situation that a lot of farmers are experiencing right now, at least in Canada, because our, our average farmer is something like 57 or 67 years old in Canada. Um, So when you start thinking about what that means. These are people who are, you know, retiring, trying to pass, you know, the torch on to the next generation. Um, And the next generation is incredibly tech savvy um, or trying to be, and, you know, has kind of come up in this, you know, entirely new space of how we operate business and how we communicate with clients and things like that. Um, So regardless of kind of how they come at us or what position they're in. Um, one of the things that we develop for our clients is something that we call a brand strategy, essentially taking where they are now, which could be nothing, or there could be a foundation there. There could be history there that we want to bring forward. Right. So we kind of evaluate that. Yeah. You know, the foundation of, of what they have on hand. And then we have a discussion around well, where are we going? You know, what's what's the goal? What does it look like for your business to be profitable? What does it look like for, um, you know, like how many clients do you need to serve? How, you know, like those kind of questions. And it's always funny to me because people will often reach out to creative agencies and they're looking for creative, right? So they're looking for things that look pretty and they're shiny and they, you know, yeah. do those things. Um, but for myself, because, you know, since 2008, I have either been in a business, been launching a business, been helping somebody build a business or launch a business or exiting a business. Um, I've seen over and over again, these sort of patterns of things that either connect really well and then the business takes off or don't connect at all. And the business just explodes onto itself. Mm-hmm. And even though we're positioned as a creative agency, for me, it's important that the creative serves the business. It's not just about kind of getting that aesthetic or, you know, even the right language. At the end of the day, if it doesn't serve the farm or, you know, the food business or anything like that, then we're not really doing our jobs. So we start mm-hmm. by asking those questions and then based on, what their business goals are, then we create a strategy around what kind of avenues we can leverage with them. That could be e-commerce. It's become incredibly popular in the past two years, given all of that has happened in the world, um, You know, allowing people to serve their customers in a slightly different way that doesn't require as many eye-to-eye handshake type moments. Mm-hmm. Um, and 
I mean, it could look like a million different things, but I feel like in the past two years, e-commerce has been really centric to the type of conversations we've been having. It's, it's amazing how different the world is and just like in these last couple of years. And, and, um, uh, you know, we, we have bags of coffee delivered directly to our door from the roaster now. Correct. Never would have done that. We have, um, you know, we've had breweries drop off a box of beer, like on our, on our doorstep that we ordered very specific, whatever, and it's straight from the brewery, no, no go between. And, um, that, that's just a, it's a, feels like a very different world with all these little direct, no middleman sort of micro purchases. And, um, uh, you know, I think I think some of it will start to to go back a little bit the other way as people just are out and about. But I, I think sure. there's a lot of habits and things that um, are so ingrained now. But it's also the benefits, like you see, it's it's so easy and it's so nice to be able to buy from this little producer or that little producer. And hopefully, they made more money off of me because they, didn't have to, <laughs> you know, um, have pay the middle guy. Man. Yeah, that's right. Enough to pay the middle guy. Yeah. That's right. And I think as humans, one of the things that we search for is that connection, right? We want that eye to eye time. We want to know the people that we buy from by name. You know, we're starting to be so very disconnected with the internet, which is the great connector who has disconnected us all. Um, But we're looking, we're looking for that connection. We're tribal, you know, as a species, and we're looking to find who our tribes are and Mm -hmm. part, you know, like part of, you know, what I do is, is just help people identify and hang out with their tribe, basically, you know? Well, I think, I think it's easy to get uh, sort of hooked on that as well, because what I find is, is you get, there, there's all sorts of benefits. You get to support local, you get to support a small business, you get to, and and it's not even just local. Like if I, I'm, I like to support a small business or a micro business anywhere because it's the Absolutely. same it's entrepreneurs everywhere. Right. Um, yeah. But I also find that I, I found that there's, there's um, there tends to be, or, or from a lot of my experience that, experience a, a much higher level of quality and customer experience, customer support and friendliness and everything that, that all comes along with that. So it's, Hey, I don't just get to help like support the small business. I get, I get better stuff. I get better everything. I get higher quality, whatever, you know, goods, food, whatever it is. Right. Whatever. Absolutely. And the level of care and attention to detail is usually immense in comparison to something that you might get that's just mass produced or, you know, from a big box store. Um, Not that I necessarily have anything against things that are mass produced or from big box stores, because at the end of the day, we are a humongous population on the face of this earth. And, you know, certain needs need to be met by certain things. But I think that even, you know, if, we were to think through just a handful of purchases that we make every year and move those into these like micro businesses or smaller businesses, family owned businesses. Um, I mean, you know, we get our pizza from the local pizza guy cause he's just cool, you know, yeah. and I yeah. like him, you know, and yes, Domino's will deliver, but at the end of the day, like, this guy's always got a smile on his face when we walk into his store. And that's just why we buy from him. Cause he's a cool guy. Yeah. It's, it's uh, we tend to be the same way once we're, once we're kind of um, 
connected with something and we, and we've had really good experience with it. It's just, you just become repeat, repeat, repeat. And, and because you have, you start to have that experience in those relationships and, and, um, uh, and I, I do think it's almost always better. Like, it's just the, you know, the, the, the food and everything, the ingredients, everything I, I find are always better, or at least maybe the experience is so good that it, it elevates it even more. So you think it's so much better, <laughs> you know? Um, but it's, oh. it's me, it's meaningful to have, like, like, uh, like you said, like you, you walk in, then that's the owner and, yeah. and they're happy to see us. Right. And that, that's a, that's a different experience. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think, um, not to like divert our conversation too much here, but one of the pieces that I sort of skipped over because I'm not entirely sure how I want to speak about it, but, you know, prior to Urtica being Urtica. Um, so originally the agency was called Nourished. We ended up incorporating under a different name because we wanted to move it somewhere else in Canada, but that's not happening. We're staying where we are. Um, but prior to that, I had a side hustle as we all do for some reason, because we can't just run one business that is not sufficiently complex for the entrepreneurial mind for some reason. No. Um, I had another business that was called the Northern Table. Okay. where um, we direct source tea um, and herbal tea from like directly from farms. And we did it, you know, both here in Alberta and in British Columbia and then across the pond in China and India. Um, and we sourced salt directly from people in Vancouver who, you know, their business originally started with a couple buckets of water out of the ocean and said, you know, like, hold my beer. I'm going to make salt out of this, um, you know, and there came a time where I had to decide, you know, do I, do I keep the Northern table or do I keep Urtica? And, you know, we talked before we got on the recording of this a little bit about like the challenges and the the kind of up steps and side steps that we we make as entrepreneurs. And I think that in recent history, making that decision for you know my family and and for my business and for the team that was growing on both sides, and you know, like we have mouths to feed and and such other things. Yeah. Um, it was probably the most intense decision that, um, at the end of the day, my health made for me, you know, yeah. and, yeah. um, I feel like more and more we start talking in entrepreneurial circles more openly about things like burnout and, and mental mm -hmm. health. Um, but it was a really dark, dark chapter of my life, um, that, you know, at the end of the day served a really good purpose in the sense that, you know, owning and operating Urtica really tied me into the food community here in Alberta. You know, it was in hindsight, an open door to any conversation around, you know, local food, around farming, around, you know, like those things. Um, it got me into a lot of spaces that perhaps even had I just simply owned Urtica, I wouldn't have gotten into. Um, you know, I ended up catering this incredible five course dinner, um, you know, close to Battle River for some friends who 
came together. They're called a Prairie Farm Project, and they came together and they they produced basically everything you might need on a table. They raised chickens and lambs and and you know beef and vegetables and flowers and and you know all manner of things. And we we brought all of their food together in the beautiful context that was this evening. Um, and those moments, you know, there is no undoing them. That's what, you know, built some of our relationships that, you know, I have brought in to Urtica, but it's, yeah, it's so hard to, to choose, you know, sometimes between yeah. like a, a product that you really, really believe in and that was doing well all things considered, you know, like there's, there's no, um, the spreadsheet said it should continue working, you know? Yeah. Um, but at the end of the day, I was already staying up trying to figure out how to grow Urtica and train the team and create the systems that we need to really be more solid for our clients. And I was staying up until 3 a.m. in our commercial kitchen blending tea. You know, like those two things don't go together. And, yeah. you know, you add in there, I have a young family and, you know, my son is four years old. And, you know, so so I think that that was probably the biggest life lesson that I have, yeah. have um, you know, the, the feather in my cap or, you know, like it's just, it's... Yeah. No, I, I, well, I can relate a hundred percent and I know a lot of entrepreneurs that can as well. And, and um, uh, you know, and I've <laughs> a little gray hair and used to have hair and it was brown. I dye you know? it. I'm not going <laughs> to lie. <laughs> yeah. It's, I, I, don't even, I don't even have enough to dye it anymore. Um, <laughs> and um, it's, it's, um, uh, you know, like I, I had those, those, those times too, where I did and a lot of it goes back to, you know, you see opportunity, you want to do it. And it's like, yeah. Yeah, I had five things going on at the same time and you're burning the candles at both ends and in the middle. And in the ends. middle. Yeah. yeah. Everywhere you can. And thinking at the time that you can do it until you kind of hit a wall. And yeah. um, uh, now I have to be very disciplined on, you know, my work life is dry run and all my little side hustles. I have to stop myself from no, I'm not putting a website up and I'm not selling that. And I'm not doing that. Yeah. I just do this for fun. And, and I, you know, I, I've, I've said to um, other entrepreneurs that I see when they're, they're sort of going down that path. And I, I, I've, I've told them, I said, like, if you're doing an 80 hour work week, you're only productive for 40 anyway. So you might as well do 40 good True ones. Story. Yeah. Um, but the other thing, and I've, 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 you know, especially in this, the tech world that I'm in now with the tech startups, which are really, high, you know, honestly tricky and, and high risk. And we we're very fortunate to have gotten to where we are. I didn't know until you're far enough down the road that, oh, you, woo, you know. Yeah. Um, and, well, that uh, but, worked out. <laughs> yeah. It's like, holy cow. And, you know, it's not like we've won anything yet, but we're, we've, we're doing well. And it was, it was, you know, a lot of times where it was close calls, right. Early on. And, it's, but I, I remember telling, you know, and I, I think I've used this phrase a few times, but, you know, the people say, well, it's, a, it's not a sprint, it's a marathon. Mm. Like, it's not a marathon. You're walking around the world, literally around the world. Don't start sprinting and don't, don't try and make up four miles in the, or 10 miles right in the first day. I don't even know if that's far, <laughs> um, you know, but, you know, sounds take, like a shin splint. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, you know, it's, it's, 
you, you have to take care of yourself and you have to be mentally ready. And because there's so many challenges and so many things that make it sometimes really hard, like from the outside, everything always looks good in China. And then you run into this challenge and, and, and it's like, take a deep breath, go in, put a smile on your face and go team. Right. And, and it can some yeah. days be really hard and some days it's really, it, it's, it just flows. Right. Um, and, uh, but you're not going to do it all at once. And, and, and um, that, like, like you said, like taking care of yourself, making sure you're, you, you have other things that are, that are important to you and, and you take care of your mental health is so important. And I think entrepreneurs can be hit. I, it, I, I'm sure it, everyone must go through that because it's, it's sort of that, like you said, how we're wired is you probably will at some point try and take way too much on at once. And um, absolutely. And I, I think it's important, like, I really appreciate you sharing that. I know I've talked about with other entrepreneurs about this on the show before, and it's so important because hopefully there's, there's some, um, I don't even want to say younger, just newer entrepreneurs that whenever they start, um, that that's sort of sometimes the tendency, they hear this fallacy of you got to work 80 hours a week and no, you're, you're going to burn out and you'll, that, that it's, it's not going to be, uh, an, an easy path doing that. Right. And then you're just useless to everyone, right? Like, like we have this incredible advantage of having creative minds, right? Like whether you're an entrepreneur in the creative sector or something entirely different, we just have a creative approach to solutioning things, you know, that's just the nature of the entrepreneurial mind. But, you know, I know, you know, anybody listening to this knows that when you're too tired, when you're overextended, when you have too many balls up in the air, like creativity walks out the door and goes, see ya. Like, you know, it just, it doesn't sign up for that dog and pony show. It wants out. Um, It's one of the first things to go, which is why we got into this in the first place for a lot of us, right? We want to solve this problem that Mm -hmm. we noticed and we feel like our skill set can meet that. But if we're going too hard for too long, then we lose what we brought to the table in the first place. Yeah. So and life lesson for me. (laughs) Well and and what I have to credit you with is that you actually have um you you found a niche, you understand that you and you went into that niche. Yeah. That is a and I, and I always give that recommend that all the time because in my agency days we didn't really do that. Like we, we did, we, we tended to do more like educational e-learning, e-training, but what we did is we, we were doing, um, uh, it was always very cutting edge technology. And, um, I actually think we were probably the first agency in town to have, have gone and bought an HD camera. And I can't even remember how expensive the dumb thing too was. Expensive. Too Way expensive. Way too many zeros. There was, I'm sure there was probably five zeros I'm guessing somewhere around there yeah. it wasn't it wasn't like incredible but it, it was it was expensive and um and my phone does better video today <laughs> and it's not it's, wild it's, it's absolutely unbelievable but I think what we fell into the trap is we had kind of a niche but we always wanted that next challenge and someone come in and say well can you do this can we do this like and this was going back in the early 2000s well can we can we do this training online with video and an interactive like Sure. You know, okay. I have no idea how we're going to do that, but we'll figure it out as we go along. (laughs) We'll figure it out. And we started to get a recommend a a reputation, I think, of being able to figure it out. So we would, we would do, we 
and we had always seemed to somehow do it the hardest way. We did a, one of the first like touchscreen kiosks that had like the screen and then the touchscreen down. This is all like simple stuff now. Yeah. And it was not then. And, um, and, and looking back, we started to, you know, and we, we did, we did find as a business, but it was always, we always made it harder than it needed to be. And it was one of the things that I think if we would have sort of followed this path and this niche, um, found that niche and went, this is what we're doing. We could have really excelled at it because it's like, we spent all the time, all the hard lessons we learned from it. And now it becomes easier and easier. Yeah. And we just kept doing something hard and then something new that was hard. And now it's, it's kind of refreshing to wake up every day and it's like, we know what we're doing. We know who we serve. We know like, and it's just, it's, it's just easier uh, on, in that sense, right. Mentally sort of easier in a lot of ways. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you know, just before Urtica became Urtica, we sort of served everyone and solved everyone's problems. And, you know, they would come to us and say like, Hey, can we do that? And like, Hey, okay, well, yeah, sure. Why not? You know, like we're just gonna, you know, pick ourselves up by our boots and we're going to march down the street with you and we will figure it out as we go along. Um, but in closing the Northern table, I asked myself, why did I start it in the first place? Like what, what, was I trying to do really? Like what was the foundational goal of Urtica? And for me, it was always about creating a platform for these small producers to reach a broader market, right? Mm -hmm. So I always thought of the Northern Table as sort of like a go-between between these producers and, you know, a wider audience, more chefs, more groceries, more, you know, those type of things. Um, And then I said, hey, that's kind of what we do at Urtica anyways. Just, you know, it's a different lipstick on a different pig. But basically, at the end of the day, um, it's kind of what we do. You know, these are people. This is who we want to serve. So why not just dig down and understand even more about the industry than we, you know, possibly could have. Cause we were just tr- like, we were just touching certain kinds of producers when we were the Northern table. And so I kind of dug my heels in and I said, okay, you know, this is the land where I'm standing and these are my people and maybe they'll want to hang out with me. And so far so good, you know? <laughs> yeah. And it was, and the cool thing about niche is that you, that is, that's how you build reputation and referrals. Uh, it, it's so much easier to sort of build that. And, and it's just, people understand when you say, yeah, we're the best in the world with this. And they mm-hmm. understand that. And I always used to hear that and, and I couldn't quite wrap my head around it at the time. And it's because we were pulled in 50 different directions. So um, that's, that was, um, uh, yeah, you did that decades before I figured that out. <laughs> you, know. Um, you know, and the other thing that we get told a lot as entrepreneurs, or at least it's, it might be the circles that I run in, but they tell you to like specialize, specialize, specialize. Right. And at Urtica, we're generalists. We just are, you know, mm-hmm. like my, my graphic designer is a photographer by trade, you know, our, our web mm-hmm. developers are, you know, like they, they do social media and they understand how those things work. And while I truly believe that you should hire a plumber to do the plumbing for us, where we've specialized is the industries that we serve, but we have like an array of skill sets that we can use and bring to the table and make the most out of, right. Mm -hmm. We have this attitude of figureoutableness 
um, that we've brought with us. Um, but yeah, I don't know, you know, maybe if we have another conversation in five years, I'll tell you, Hey, we specialized. (laughs) Well, it's, it's, it, that's interesting because I hadn't thought of that before, but it is very different. Like you, the, the niche you serve and you build the reputation on is different than um, as a smaller business, you, as an entrepreneur, of course, you have to wear a lot of hats, but as a small business, like my team also has to wear a lot of hats. That's just, mm. you know, and, and I think for having really defined specialists, I think it would be, um, I can sort of see that it would be, it'd be challenging probably until you reach a, a specific scale. And I don't even know if there's a huge benefit for it then, because um, uh, to be able to be problem solvers, it probably helps to have other experiences and, and be able to kind of, you know, tap into those. So um, no, I, I can, I can totally see what you're saying there and it makes perfect, perfect sense. And, and um, uh, yeah, I, I, th- I hadn't thought of it that way. The difference between like, serving a niche, but also specializing. And I was always pictured as the niche, not as much, probably because I'm more of a generalist too. So I'm like, well, I'm not really that good at anything. <laughs> I don't know. I'm good you know, enough at a bunch of stuff, I guess. So, Jack of all trades, master of none. But yeah. apparently the rest of that is better than the master of one or something like that. Oh, okay. That's, uh, I'll have to look that up. That maybe that'll be, um, on, uh, uh, I was telling you about my other podcast, the Mike and Blame, I always do a quote. So maybe I'll, uh, maybe we'll have to pull that quote out. So there you <laughs> go. That could be it. your next one. It's yeah. So I just looked it up quickly here. It's Jack of all trades, master of none, which is kind of the part that we know, but mm-hmm. oftentimes better than a master of one. Oh, interesting. I'm going to dig that one out and I'm going to add that to our list. Cause it's, it's, it's a, it'll be a fun topic to do as well. So it's, uh, yeah. yeah. Well, this has been, um, this has been a ton of fun, Melanie. I know if we keep talking, we'll leave <laughs> <Go, keep laughs> the hour, keep going here. Um, uh, but you guys, are, I know are doing really cool stuff. Um, uh, who should be contacting you and how can they get hold of you if they want to talk with you? Absolutely. So, um, as I may have mentioned once or twice, you know, food and farm business is really where we're at. Um, but I also mentor um, through the forum. So it's an organization, a not-for-profit um, that supports women entrepreneurs. Um, and so if you are of the gentler sex, <laughs> I don't even know how to say that in a politically correct way in this day and age, but bear with me here. Um yeah, food, farm, and women. That's usually kind of who we end up helping. And you can find us at urtica.ca. Um, I answer all of my DMs on my personal Instagram. Uh, so you'll find me there kind of hanging out. And that's Mel of Urtica. And if you're looking for the agency, then it is We Are Urtica because we believe in building longer tables, not higher walls. That's terrific. And when, the one thing I'll, 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 uh, mention is that um like i think it's so important that that sort of mentoring aspect to um it's um i would not be any like i still am part of like the um venture mentoring services at u of a i have a team of mentors my co-founders now in the program i know we wouldn't be anywhere where we're at without um without having those mentors, I know how important that is. So I really uh, uh, commend you on, on, on helping other entrepreneurs. And I'm always open to do that as well for other entrepreneurs. And, and, you know, it's kind of take one hat off and put on another, but um, <laughs> cause you always, you learn from it and, and I want to share, but I also benefit so much from it. And I know 
uh, it is how absolutely important it is to success. So that's, uh, um, uh, I would encourage uh, entrepreneurs to, uh, uh, women entrepreneurs to get in touch with you. And um, because that mentorship has changed how we do our business, it's just uh, uh, so critical. Absolutely. Absolutely. And having, you know, had mentors myself over the lifespan of my business businesses, you know, and um, having had the opportunity to be in an incredible relationship with a new mentor this year, I have to say that the, even just a handful of conversations has changed my business 180, Mm -hmm. you know, just even, even, you know, like how, how we approach our clients, how we, how we bundle our services, how, you know, it's just, Sometimes there's something about not being able to see the forest for the trees. And I Mm -hmm. find that mentoring really helps you see the forest again. Yeah. Yeah. And those shortcuts can be absolutely fundamental. They can be um, fundamental to success. They can also save a business. And I'm like, it can be literally a comment, a sentence. Like life and debt for the business. Yeah. It can completely change the direction of a business. And I felt that uh, as well. And, and, um, uh, it's talking with other entrepreneurs and having mentors and everything is just so, so important. So I, I, I think that's um, uh, just terrific that you're doing that because I, I know how important that is. And, and from both sides, having mentor and also mentoring uh, is just so important. Um, well, thanks again so much for being on the show. I hope uh, um, people will reach out to you. I really enjoyed our conversation today. We could uh, go on for hours here, but I, you know, maybe we will in a, in a few years come back and circle back and do another one and, and see where you're at uh, then as well. Um, but um, thanks so much for being on the show. And and um, again, everybody, I want to mention, I'm going to do a little plug for Dry Run here. Um, uh, Dry Run is a financial management, our cash management and financial modeling software. So if you're looking to figure out where you're heading with your business, what your cash flow looks like and how you're going to grow the business, how your sales are looking. You can come and talk with us at Dry Run and and we'll help uh, get that sorted out for you. So um, thanks again. I really enjoyed having you on the show, Melanie, and and, um, enjoy the rest of your day. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me, Blaine.